Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You're about to listen to another proud presentation brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Sounds like a yes to me, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. To listen to the show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And of course, we'd like to thank our spectacular patrons, Katie and Gemma Nicole, for supporting this podcast, as well as thanking all of our patrons for supporting this show. If you're interested in becoming a patron, check us out at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We are back, and we are talking about the second half of a two-parter crossover episode featuring Spider-Man, of course, and the X-Men. This is actually our third episode that we're doing on this two-parter. Um, so if you're just listening in now, our New Year's Eve episode is a commentary for when we live-watched these two episodes. You can check that out. And then part one should have come out last week. So now we're diving into part two of it. Um, so a lot of our thoughts are going to be continuations of that. But a lot of them are going to be new ones, too, because a lot of different stuff happens in this episode from the last one. Like, kind of unexpectedly, actually. <laughs> yes. Um, I think our overall sort of thoughts last week were that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of themes um, there was a little bit of messiness here and there, but at its core, there's a really good story happening in this two-parter. So I believe some of that will will shine through once again. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So let's just get right into this. We had a lot of, again, we also had a lot of production trivia in our last episode. So if you want to hear the making of this episode that was very messy, check that episode out. But for right now, we're just going straight into part two. This is mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Spider-Man the Animated Series, Season 2, Episode 5, Neogenic Nightmare, Chapter 5, Mutant's Revenge. Those titles are never going to not amuse me. <laughs> They're all so good. I know, right? <laughs> the synopsis per IMDb is, Landon kidnaps Beast and plans to use him for his experiments. Wolverine believes that Spider-Man was involved in the kidnapping. That was basically mm-hmm. like what happened in the last episode, but sure. Yeah, yeah, in like the last, I don't know, five minutes of the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, that's what starts the plot of this one until it takes yeah. a pretty wild turn, but... <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because I feel like the synopsis for the last episode gave away too much, and this one, like, doesn't give anything away, like, <laughs> yeah. even a little. <laughs> this episode originally aired on October 7th, 1995, and it was written by, no surprise, John Semper and Michael Edens, as well as Francis Moss and Ted Peterson. 
Yes. So Francis Moss and Ted Peterson did the teleplay this time. Moss was an assistant story editor on Care Bears, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The New Adventures of He-Man, and James Bond Jr. I looked that up. That looks terrible. Um, I didn't know that. Wait. (laughs) No. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I looked it up. He's his nephew. Why is he James Bond Jr. if he's his nephew? (laughs) Okay. Uh Probably a trash show. It's too much for me. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, Moss has worked on better shows than probably James Bond Jr. Um, (laughs) Also written on X-Men the Animated Series, The Real Ghostbusters, Exo Squad, Mighty Max, Iron Man the Animated Series, Mummies Alive, Stargate Infinity, and more. We mentioned a lot of those shows for the writer uh, Michael Edens of the last episode, so definitely seeing some crossover here. And we'll see even more crossover with Ted Peterson, who was also a writer on X-Men the Animated Series, Iron Man the Animated Series, the 80s Godzilla cartoon, The Smurfs, G.I. Joe, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, New Adventures of He-Man, Mighty Max, Exo Squad, Mummies Alive, Stargate Infinity, and more. So pretty much a repeat. Oh yeah, (laughs) lots of crossover. And I don't know if they necessarily are even, like, people who write together all the time. I think it's just, like, the collection of, of writers who have just followed around each other, I guess. Right. Sort of a unofficial cohort of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a, such an interestingly, like, diverse selection of shows, too. Yeah, it's not, like, one type of show done over and over again. <laughs> At least not from... Uh, from the titles. <laughs> right, right, right. And you have, like, Stargate Infinity. Like, that seems like a, a weird, random thing thrown yeah. in there. But, all right. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we don't have a ton of characters introduced in this episode specifically since it is a part two. There is one character who is featured more heavily than they were in the last episode, and that's Genevieve. She's portrayed by Lori O'Brien, who most prominently uh, is known as the voice of Baby Miss Piggy on Muppet Babies, and that was her longest-running credit, um, and certainly her most recognizable credit as well. Mm-hmm. And we did a commentary episode on Muppet Babies, uh, it would have been like almost last year now, with yeah, this recording. Yeah. Um, so you can find that on our Patreon. Plug, plug, plug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so these episodes are weird because it does have all the X-Men, but like most of them don't really do much of anything. Right. So the last, the, our last episode last week, we talked about Wolverine and we talked about Beast, and both of those actors had pretty prominent careers as well. Um, and we talked, we had a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about, so we didn't want to dive too much into all the characters. We have a little more time this week, so just because it would be shady not to mention the remaining X Men actors, um, we wanted to kind of at least mention them here that they're here, even if they only say like three things. Yes. <laughs> or yes. in Jean Grey's case, zero. <laughs> <laughs> she has that very. Very, very confusing moment with Wolverine in the last episode. But I don't think she says a single word in this one. I think she, like, <laughs> legit, like, disappears and then appears maybe, like, once in the background and says nothing. That's probably true. Yeah, uh-huh. you're probably right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, Professor Charles Xavier is played by Cedric Smith. Storm, as we talked about in the last episode, is portrayed by Allison Seeley Smith, who was the third third Storm Storm actor for lots of reasons that you can listen to in our last episode. And Rogue is portrayed by Lenore Zahn. Mm -hmm. Gambit, meanwhile, is portrayed by Chris Potter. Jean Grey is portrayed by Catherine Disher. Cyclops by Norm Spencer and Jubilee by Allison Court. 
Yes. So they all do get about, like, I would say a handful of lines-ish over the course of these two episodes, except maybe Jean Grey. I do think she probably talks the least. Um, Rogue and Jubilee talk every once in a while, mostly to, like, kind of hit on (laughs) Spider-Man. Yep. (laughs) Storm is cool. I mean, like, she's just always cool. Um, And then Gambit and Cyclops are just, like, kind of there and say things because they're Cyclops and Gambit. I don't know. Yeah. They seemed – they balance it out reasonably well with everybody but Jean Grey for these other ones where, like, there's points when I notice, like, okay, these three characters all have a one-liner during the fight sequence. And then the other three characters who didn't have a one-liner have, like, one random thrown-in line in a conversation, like, before or after that. So, like, I think – they all are pretty evenly distributed. It's just like even being in, evenly distributed, they aren't really doing or saying that much. But they they do well enough that, except with maybe Jean Grey, but they do well enough that if you ask somebody, "Hey, which X Men were in those episodes?" you probably could name them all. Yeah, it's just that they don't have the opportunity to do a lot because it's such a large team and it's not their show. Yeah, and I think if you're not dissecting it as much as we are, I don't, I don't think you'll really notice the disparity that much. Yeah, like I think you will, of course, notice that it is very much a Wolverine and Beast story. I don't think you feel like the rest of the X Men are like nothing there. Like you, you yeah. won't, you're not going to feel like they're non-characters. Like you still right. reasonably get a sense of who they are, what their powers are, what they're doing. It's just you know they're working within the confines of this being a massive cross over with not much time so mm-hmm. what are you in this do? episode they get a bit of a chance to do a little bit more too so like mm-hmm. as a whole team which is nice so i suppose we should dive into what that is huh let's do it let's do it so this episode picks up immediately where the last one left off um which is wolverine attacking spider-man because he believes that spider-man is responsible for the disappearance of beast or at least an accomplice and hobgoblin has decided that while those two are fighting he can capitalize on the opportunity to blow them both up Yep. It doesn't really work because instead of blowing them both up, uh, when Hobgoblin pulls out one of his pumpkin bombs, Spider-Man webs it to his hand, uh-huh. which is funny. I think I think this is the moment, either right here or like right after, where Spider-Man is like, tells Wolverine, like, we'll finish our conversation after I take care of Laughing Boy. Like, <laughs> nice, nice one. I, that's not... Solid burn. (laughs) (laughs) Not really working up to your potential there, (laughs) Spider-Man. I guess he's he's a little stressed out by uh by his mutation stuff and everything that's happening. I guess. True. Also, Wolverine and Spider-Man fighting in this is really funny because they're like like wrestling each other, but like not even like elaborate wrestling. It's like high school wrestling. Like they're just just run at each other and grab each other and hold each other. I understand that Wolverine can't, like, really use his claws, but, like, he doesn't even have them out most of the time. Spider-Man <laughs> doesn't do anything in his webbing. They just yeah. run, hold each other, flip each other over, and then do it again. Yeah, I was reading, a, uh, I was reading like, a forum thread, basically, discussing these two episodes and, like, how people felt about them. I think probably when ABC was doing, like, a re-airing of the show or something like that. Sure. And one person was like... You know, the the fight between Wolverine and Spider-Man is, like, pretty disappointing, but I guess, like, I'm not sure what to expect when they can't just hit each other like they want to. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I guess that's a good point. Like, they can't just punch each other in the face. That wouldn't really be allowed. <laughs> yeah. 
I guess I would have expected a little more just like flipping and throwing at the very least. Like yeah. the, it's the it's the tamest, most non superhero <laughs> fight that you could yes. have. Yeah, you could do some web stuff. You could do some like um like slicing things to fall onto Spider Man. Yeah. Which I think that they did plenty of that in the X Men cartoon because you know he couldn't disempower people on X Men, but he still <laughs> used his claws. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely stuff you can do. Sort of like almost inspired by sort of like Jackie Chan martial arts where you're like using everyday objects against your adversaries. Wolverine can kind of do that with his claws. Mm. Like that's how he could capitalize on it. But instead they wrestle like they're in high school. And we would be totally robbed of the rolling around like they're definitely not making out on the floor if they actually fought. So hey, I mean, maybe it was intentional. Take your pick. That was the... <laughs> That was just the subtext that they were purposely trying to get through, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hard as a rock. (laughs) Uh, (sighs) So the since the Hobgoblin's pumpkin bomb is webbed to his hand, so um, Hobgoblin instead is like he's gonna fly away and retreat, but then he like sees a camera and is like, "Ooh, I can do something with this camera," and he uses it to set off the compound's alarm system, which does alert Landon and his guards to Spider-Man and Wolverine's presence. So uh, Landon is able to, or attempts to blow both of them up as well, but instead of with the pumpkin bomb, he wants to do it with missiles that are like strapped to the top of the building. Yeah, they're like anti-air missiles, but like he shoots them at Spider-Man and Wolverine. (laughs) Seems like overkill, bro. Like how often were you gonna, are you having superpowered people like invading your building <laughs> i don't know i guess it is new york know. in the marvel universe maybe this happened i mean this probably happens all the time actually i guess I but it seems suppose. a little still seems like overkill and pretty destructive to do that yeah i would be suspicious of uh the brand corporation if i saw that they had like anti-air artillery just like on the top of their buildings <laughs> be like yeah. they're doing something shady over there <laughs> Yeah. Especially since that's their research facility. <laughs> right, right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, despite despite the missiles coming after them, um, the two are still able to escape and gives them a little uh, um, a little pause to get Spider Man able to explain what Hobgoblin had revealed to him, which is that Landon plans to destroy all mutants. So Wolverine um, is like, all right, I guess we're going to investigate together. But if you're wrong, I will fillet you, (laughs) Spider-Man, in case you're lying to me. Yes. It's quite a violent threat there, Wolverine. He's so distrusting, distrusting of Spider-Man. Like, he legit hates him. But I think you're right. I think he he thinks Spider-Man's kind of a bigot based on what he said before and is just reacting reasonably appropriately to that. Kind of right. Yeah, <laughs> you know what you know what Spider-Man and Peter are? They're like the ally that's chill until they find out that their kid is a mutant. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except in this case, it's like I'm a mutant. So like totally chill, calling Cecily out on being like totally xenophobic. But when I'm faced with the fact that I might be a mutant, I'm gonna freak out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got some work to do there, Peter. Yep, he really does. So Hobgoblin notes that while the two are distracting and distracted by Landon's defense systems, he can get away to collect what's owed to him by Landon. So true Hobgoblin fashion, he's just playing everybody. Yes. Yes, he is. 
Inside the facility, Beast asks Genevieve why he's helping Landon, who he calls a madman. And Genevieve states he's not mad at all. Landon's goal is to eliminate mutant suffering. But then she has this really dark turn where she says, if they don't exist, then they can't suffer. What the fuck, Genevieve? Yikes. (laughs) I mean, it clarifies itself a little bit later on, but like, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I, I I appreciate the dark depths that they go to with this episode, that these are like the worst of the worst uh, of bigotry. <laughs> for real. Which I guess just sort of comes with the territory of X-Men. Yeah. Definitely. So we're not used to seeing it on this show. But I mean, the moment you introduce mutants into the equation, like the bigots just come following along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so sad. But yeah. Yep. That's true. Uh, Well, she also alludes, um, after this terrible thing she says, she also alludes to Beast's early research, which prompts a flashback of Beast's early research. Mm -hmm. In this flashback, we see Beast, like, pre-Bestial, like, probably when he was right at the start of his mutation. and Kind of looks like a 60s comics Peter Parker, no? He kind of does. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he kind of does. He's, like, round glasses and, like, a neat haircut. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I think probably Hank McCoy probably looked like that in general in the 60s comics, too. So <laughs> probably everybody, true. every every scientist nerd kind of character looked like that. But <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> but in that flashback, uh, we see him doing experiments and he narrates saying, once I was filled with much self-loathing, I wanted to eliminate my mutancy more than anything. Remembering that I once felt that way has for years been my darkest secret. I was wrong. Being a mutant has brought great joy into my life. That mm. shit's gay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, man. I know it because that shit's gay. <laughs> like, right? you know what I mean? That's like the exact type of stuff that like you have to wrestle with when you're a queer person and you're faced with sort of the like, people will literally ask this. Like, if you could, have you ever, I don't know. Have you ever gotten this question? If you could, would you unqueer yourself? Like, sure. would you be straight? And people literally ask that, and that's that's kind of what he's going through yeah. and what he went through and what he's reminiscing on. I've had that same journey of thinking for a long time, like, no, I would totally, like, I would totally be straight if I could, like, make myself straight to, yeah. like, changing and being like, no, I would not do that. I fucking love being gay. It's so it's so great. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's sort of like you have that. That's, that's a, a, a weird, like, maturation that I think you have to go through as a person and not everyone goes through it. And that's how you got a lot of like internalized homophobia Mm -hmm. and and self-hatred and stuff that like exists in some people. But that's like a growth thing that you have to go through that I feel like to an extent, maybe not so much anymore because like being gay and being queer in general is a little more accepted than it used to be. Yeah. Much more celebrated too. Yeah. But like it definitely used to be that I think pretty much everyone went through that journey. No one just came out of the closet being proud like even even (laughs) even after coming out usually there's a lot of self-loathing that you have Mm -hmm. to get over yeah this is why the x-men appeal to so many like marginalized populations because these types of things that the x-men go through being mutants in a world surrounded by non-mutants and being constantly othered and examined and people trying to like fix or cure them. Like that's why this shit resonates so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even when it might not be intentionally doing that. And it's, that's what makes it so baffling to me that nowadays it seems like the X-Men would be such an easy, like 
way to my narratives from like in movies if they mm-hmm. wanted to i mean even in comics because they're not doing that much with them in the co- in the comics but like i think maybe because the the actual x-men movies like only occasionally went kind of hard on this stuff but for the most part didn't i don't think really do the metaphorical stuff justice but it's like this is the kind of like stuff that people grapple with that i think could be really relevant and like speak to a lot of yeah. people and it's it's wild to me that that's not tapped into in a lot of like in the mainstream Marvel stuff nowadays of all times. Yeah, well, and I know that I know that most people, not most people, I know that a lot of people were really happy that the X-Men were back in Marvel's hands for the movies, and I definitely understand why they were saying that, but at the same time, I do think that they were starting to understand the massive potential of the X-Men franchise in cinema by exploring new areas of cinema through the X-Men. You know what I mean? Like Hmm. the fact that Logan even exists as a movie, the fact that they did some of the stuff that they did with the younger X-Men in the sort of like first class days of future past side of things. And then the fact that they, I don't know if we're ever going to get this movie and I'm going to be so mad if we don't, but the fact that they were going to do an entire like trilogy of like horror inspired X-Men movies, one of which was sort of supposed to take place in like an old timey institution, like asylum type thing. Yeah. Tells me that they were starting to get it and they were starting to understand the vast array of stories, human stories that you could tell through the X-Men aside from just we're superheroes and people don't like us. You know what I mean? Right. So, and I'm not saying that Marvel won't explore those things because I think they certainly can. Marvel has proven that they can do different kinds of movies through superheroes. They have heist movies. They have political dramas. They have all these types of things. So I'm hoping they'll do it, but I, I wouldn't be so sure to say that, you know, Fox wasn't understanding what they could do. Yeah, yeah. I think they'd had some some trip ups for sure. But even like the last couple of them that are are not as well loved or well liked, at least like in concept, the idea of like hopping through different decades and kind of telling stories like throughout time where what the metaphor of X-Men is would be different depending on the time period that you're in. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like they went very hard on that side of it, but like, I think that that's a really great concept and a really great idea because that's sort of like the, the kind of miracle of X-Men as as characters is that, like, you could m- adjust what they're about for, like, any minority group mm-hmm. one way or another. Like, depending on the types of characters you're focusing on and the types of stories that you're telling, just the idea of what X-Men is really applies to, like, any any group that experiences prejudice. Yeah. And I really, you know, there's it's so easy for me to say this now that Fox doesn't have them. <laughs> Or I guess not in the same way, but like, Mm -hmm. I really do think they were on the verge of some of that. I don't know if we're going to get to see New Mutants. I have to imagine it will be released in some way, shape or form, probably. It's been made, right? Like, wasn't it finished? Wasn't it like a It's been finished for like two years. This movie has been moved so many times. I'm guessing we'll get it as a Hulu exclusive. I think it'll probably, I think they'll forego theaters and I think they'll just drop it on Hulu once they've figured out fully what they want to do with that. It'll probably Mm -hmm. get dropped alongside all the other X-Men movies that won't end up on Disney plus, but will end up on Hulu. I'm guessing. Sure. But I would like to believe that that new mutants movie is an indication that they were really willing to start trying some shit, you know? Sure. Cause I wouldn't be surprised if that movie itself was going to explore not just mutant stuff, but like sexuality stuff too. Yeah. And some like explicitly 
like marginalized population stuff because the setting was sort of this horrifying asylum type mm-hmm. thing. I, I think they were, I don't know. Well, maybe we'll get the movie and it'll be like straight trash, but um, who knows? I've been building it up in my mind for like three years. So oh, that's always good. <laughs> I know, right? It'll be nothing but uh, satisfactory. I'm sure. Yes, that's how that works. That's how expectations always work. Oh yeah. Great. <laughs> Beast, we get you. Yeah. 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 And Beast also has like the X-Men version of Gadar because Mm -hmm. Genevieve reacts to his story about finding joy in his life by being a mutant. She reacts to it very negatively and very with like righteous anger about it. And Beast suspects that she doth protest too much. Which is funny because like as a kid, I don't know that you would necessarily get that, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't mean, think I would have. Half of Beast's lines are just him quoting from literature. <laughs> yes. So. At least he doesn't this time like say like William Shakespeare. I know I quote like, him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know what I should have done at the beginning of the episode for the spider sense? I should have looked up a quote that like is oh. answering the question yes and quoted it just like Beast did. <laughs> oh well. Uh, it's too late. Too late. As one of our favorite podcasters, Robert Evans, always says you can't edit audio. No, it's impossible. <laughs> and we've stolen your joke, Robert. Thank you very much. Oh, I've stolen so many jokes from other podcasts. They're never going to know. They're too popular. They make like thousands of dollars from this. They're yeah. never going to know. <laughs> if you do it once, it's an illusion. It's a reference. It's an, it's homage. an homage. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that it is a good a good moment where he's like, "Hmm, that seems like an overreaction, Genevieve." <laughs> yeah, yeah, huh. yep, yep, yep. Well, in a hallway, Wolverine breaks through a hallway ceiling in front of a couple of guards, and after taking the two out, another handful arrive to pursue Wolverine and Spider Man. Um, as they attempt to escape, Hobla- Hobgoblin. Who's also there? Um, <laughs> just always there. Best best '90s technology scene ever. In oh my yes. opinion, happens here where he comes to a computer station. It's just a giant computer with a blank white screen with black text, just black text that says "mutant genetic research" in big letters on oh, that yes. otherwise blank screen. So he's like, "Hmm, I know it's on this computer." <laughs> he quote unquote hacks it. Um, oh yeah very very uh (laughs) very technologically savvy this one (laughs) so can we just break this down please first of all this computer has an ai like host that is a very polygonal polygon polygon like polygonal whatever made of polygons (laughs) cgi woman's head Mm-hmm. Um, who is like, welcome to the computer station, whatever. So that's not a thing that happened in the 90s, but cool. <laughs> he types the keys a few times to hack it, which turns the CGI polygon lady into a polygon CGI version of the Hobgoblin, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. now has his recorded voice on there laughing evilly because it's a computer virus. That's- yeah. And he takes the puts all the data onto a floppy disk and and, and leaves that he it. calls a CD ROM, or <laughs> or maybe she calls a CD ROM. I don't know. Somebody Someone calls, calls a CD it a CD ROM. <laughs> sure they do. Yeah. Cool. It's one of those. It's those things where it's like I know that people didn't really know technology very well because a lot of like 
personal computers, even though they've been around for a while, like being as ubiquitous as they were was still kind of a new thing by 95. But, but were like, computers so confounding right. that you couldn't find someone to advise? <laughs> right. But it's like all these people at this point, even though it was still relatively like new, they all surely had a computer or worked on a computer at work. Uh-huh. I understand that you have to skip beats with like hacking. Like that sure. still happens in 2019. Oh, yeah. But like the the the, the face stuff, the calling a, the floppy disk a CD-ROM stuff, like why? <laughs> and this isn't like just a knock against Spider-Man, the animated series. Like this is a thing that happened oh, in this like, is like every every cartoon and TV show in the It's 90s. an epidemic at the time. <laughs> they got everything so wrong. And it's like you're not dealing with supercomputer stuff. It's like. My favorite thing that I always cite is there's an episode of Buffy from the first season, which was 1997, by the Uh way, like not even that early, where Willow comes into her room, her laptop is sitting on her bed unplugged, and she walks into the room and her computer says, you've got mail. (laughs) (laughs) And she opens this laptop that has been turned off. 97, so it had to be dial up, but it it still wasn't plugged in. It like hears her come in the room and tells her that she's got mail, like while it's closed and off and on her bed. And like, she opens it and it's instantly on. Yeah. I know I'm how sure. technology worked in 1997. Nothing instantly turned on. <laughs> yep. And I'm sure there was a floating, <laughs> a floating graphic of a mail, like flying out of an envelope, flying out of a mailbox and opening and a letter coming out that had like the email on it or whatever. It's like, I'm sure I'm mixing it up with other stuff, but like that was on every single show did something yeah. like that. Like how? <laughs> I always think back to the Power Rangers episode where, like, Tanya cannot resist clicking on the, like, bouncy smiley face, which is also a virus. Yes. And everyone's like, don't click on that. But, like, nobody's like, we should turn this computer off. (laughs) Unplug the computer. No. Everyone's seriously (laughs) typing on every single computer around there to stop the virus from being sent into the computer or downloaded on there. Yeah. (laughs) It's so funny. I think it's, like, I think part of it is, is certainly, like, a lack of necessarily understanding how that stuff worked which to an extent is understandable but then the other half of it is like inserting what you want the technology to be so it's this combination Mm. of like not understanding but also wanting it to be cooler than it is true like why else would you have this this polygonal like cgi head other than to be like wouldn't this be cool yeah (laughs) like and and you can't make a dramatic scene out of someone like opening a file toolbar and like clicking download and like typing in the name <laughs> of the file and then waiting yeah. for like 20 minutes for it all to download. Like you have to make it dramatic somehow. So like it's going to happen instantly and it's going to happen elaborately. And I, I guess I, I get it. It's just like, it's just, it doesn't abs- make it less hilarious. It's hilarious and absurd. <laughs> like I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Love to see it like all the time. Um, oh yeah. It's just like <laughs> it's it's such a it's such a weird anomaly. <laughs> it's so like funny now. to look back on. It's yeah. so funny. Like uh-huh. knowing what we know and knowing how technology has advanced in the complete not that direction. Yeah. <laughs> and knowing what it was and how much stuff how it was not represented on screen whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Uh it's a beautiful slice of history. Uh-huh. Where the hell were we? <laughs> Um, well, okay. we just saw this bizarre, compu- quote, computer virus, uh, which is not a virus at all. It's just, it's really just shutting down the computer and erasing the hard drive pretty much. And then we cut to this like very small little scene I, that, you know, it has a certain purpose, but it's like, ah, 
a couple seconds where Wolverine and Spider-Man appreciate the power of teamwork and sort of bond a little bit by tossing some guards into some warehouse rafters. And then they run out of that warehouse and continue on their way. <laughs> yep. Cool. Cool. Because we need a warehouse and they do need to develop their trust. Yeah. At least a little bit. And I guess it's also sort of setting up what ends up being supposedly the theme at the very end of the episode about like depending on other people. Yes. It plays into something. Yeah, definitely. It's not there for no reason. Right. Well, in the main laboratory where Beast is being held, Landon announces it's time to begin their procedure to unravel Beast's mutant DNA. Yikes. (laughs) Even yikesier, it should result in Beast's body attacking itself to destruction. Like, literally Mm -hmm. the cells are going to attack themselves and just, like, he's just going to dissolve. It's creepy because it's basically, Hmm. like, giving him, like, accelerated cancer, essentially, but, like, specified to mutant DNA or mutant cells, I guess. Gosh, I didn't really think about that. Like, I understood what he was saying as far as, like, we're going to strip out the mutant DNA and it's going to leave you with, like, not enough left. And so your body's just going to sort of, like, attack itself and fall apart. But, yeah, it would kind of be akin to, like, giving somebody an immunological disease, right? Where, like, your body is just overreacting to itself in a way. That's horrifying. It's it is. It's awful. He gets his comeuppance, thankfully. But it's like the I mean, they really go hard on the bigotry like nazi stuff like it's literally just like we want to kill you in the most painful awful worst way possible Uh just because we hate you because we're bad people we're just evil that's just Mm -hmm. that's all it is yeah well and also like continuing with the sort of like beast as a metaphor for (gasps) like queerness oh god i think i know where you're going with this (laughs) kind of like landon's like what if i just give you aids and let your body die i didn't even think about that but uh yep i mean to think about how many conspiracy theories that are out there that are like the government you know created aids and 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 (laughs) put that out into the public like purposefully like that's a thing that a lot of people believe so, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, a really apt comparison there. And it's it's not one for one, but if it weren't for the fact that he literally says, like, your body will attack itself, like, I don't Oof. know that it would be as clear as it sort of is. Again, probably not intentional, but it's right there. <laughs> I don't know, though, because in 95, like, the AIDS yeah. crisis was still pretty fresh in people's minds. Yeah. That was only a few years before. So I think that that very well could have, if oh, not gosh. consciously, like, subconsciously been there. Oh, that's so messed up. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. Yeah. I'm going to um, go watch X-Men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, the one that I watched was really good. I was actually really pleasantly surprised at how much I liked yeah. the episode that I watched. Well, I don't, I don't doubt it. It was really sweet. And he <laughs> had, a, had a girlfriend that he loved, and it was really sweet. And she learned how – and she was blind, and then he came up with a procedure that let her see again, and she saw him for the first time. And he see? was afraid she wouldn't like what he looked like, and she was like, no, you're beautiful. And then even like liked how soft his fur was. Like this is that. like kind of uh, how I'm confident I had to have watched some X-Men because I know that relationship. Well, like it I sounds don't... familiar. Did it ever appear in like th- does like 
he, Beast and his girlfriend don't appear in Spider-Man, do they? Well, but that also was like a relationship that was very much the thing and his blind girlfriend, too. So I don't know if maybe you're conflating it with that, because I don't know if she appears again. I, th- the way that it ended with this one, I wouldn't be surprised if that character never appears again, actually. Oh, really? But possibly, like, I don't know possibly. how else I would know that, because I've never read comics that involve his blind girlfriend. I don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe she does appear later. It just like, it seemed like it was set up to just be a one and done thing, Hmm. but I don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong. Oh, wait, doesn't thing also have a blind girlfriend? Yeah. That's what I said earlier. (laughs) Oh, okay. Gotcha. 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 I must've just like, not like the word thing maybe threw me off or something. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. No, the thing has a blind girlfriend clicking together. And that Mm -hmm. was in the movies. That was in the cartoons. That was in the comics. Like, I think they were definitely like stealing from that idea a little bit, but it was played a little bit differently in the context of, of X-Men for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably what you're thinking of. Yeah. That makes more sense. Now that I realize you were talking about like proper noun, capital T thing. (laughs) I could have specified. Yeah. I mean, I understand that it's a thing. That's what we're talking about. Huh. Huh. Is this a trope? (laughs) I mean, it's an Hmm. easy it's an easy one. Like Yeah. Yeah. I could see how it could be a little problematic too. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Anywho. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So after Landon's kind of described the awful things that are going to happen to Beast, Genevieve does like express some doubt. Um, which again kind of clues us in into what might be happening with her. But Landon insists that mutants are a curse. Yes. The conversation is like interrupted before it can go any farther than that when a guard comes in announcing that Spidey and Wolverine are on their way to the lab. Yes. And that is the guard, Lee Wald. Lee Wald. Hey, <laughs> For those Wald. of you who are wondering. <laughs> yeah. I think so. What we're supposed to be getting is that he's working for both Kingpin and. Landon, right? Like he's like a double agent with them because he talks yeah, to both of them. It's, I think it's, I think that's revealed sort of at the end. I don't know if he's spoken with Kingpin oh. yet. It's such a like a non-reveal. Like I didn't even yeah. remember it both times. <laughs> like honestly, yeah, it's uh, it's it's not that big a deal. I don't know unless it. I don't think it matters later. So I'm not sure why. Why other than it was like a maybe it was like a character they felt connected to because they it was. Yeah. I don't know, named after somebody in production. I have no idea. <laughs> and I guess it, it gets you clued in that Kingpin is aware of like Landon's stuff. So that could come into play later, maybe. Yeah. That's about it, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spider-Man and Wolverine, as they're sort of like making their way towards the main laboratory, realize that they've hit a dead end. However, Wolverine begins to use his claws to cut through the wall because, as we know, he can't use them on humans. He's got to <laughs> use them somewhere. So we're going to cut through a wall (laughs) with Wolverine's claws. These things come in useful sometimes. Yeah. He does end up getting through the wall, but some guards blow up um, a door right on top of (laughs) Spider-Man, which is ineffective because he just throws the door back at them. (laughs) But it's enough to slow him down and kind of separate Wolverine and Spider-Man enough for this next very hilarious thing to happen. Yes. So... What's the hilarious thing you're talking about? Oh, the the crazy thing where he's hanging out of the cage. Okay. So while that's happening, Wolverine charges into the main laboratory, confronts Landon, and like attempts to jump up and grab into Beast's cage, which, as we know, <laughs> is 
not only electrified, but like glowing blue, clearly uh-huh. electrified. So he jumps onto there. Beast is even yelling like, no, don't, don't do this. Don't do this. And Wolverine's like, I'm going to save you, boyfriend. Yep. And immediately electrocutes himself. <laughs> yeah. And just basically like passes out. It's like cartoonish. It's yeah. like cartoonishly hilarious. It's like Looney it's Tunes so stuff. funny. Because he is electrocuted, immediately passes out, falls down, and Beast like catches him. So now Beast is in this electrified <laughs> cage hanging over a giant vat of, again, cartoonishly green bubbling chemicals uh-huh. as he's holding an unconscious like man <laughs> who's also <laughs> hanging over this vat of chemicals. Oh, Wolverine. Just stop and think for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that though. Cause I think the, the scene itself is animated really funny where he like jumps up and just like, yeah, like you said, cartoonishly electrocutes himself. There's nothing like dramatic about it. It's just like, ah, like, and it's <laughs> like, but he's just like paralyzed until he falls. It's yeah. so goofy. It is. It's so goofy. <laughs> it's so goofy. And it's like, it's so chaotic. It. This whole, this whole sequence is like just pure chaos, which yes. is like intentional chaos. I think like it wasn't meant oh, to yeah, be yeah, yeah. like that was just to amp up, amp up the stakes and just make it all just like ridiculous. And it truly is ridiculous oh yes oh yes 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 because right after wolverine (laughs) electrocutes himself and spider-man escapes from the blown up door attack or whatever he runs into the main laboratory and right as he does landon pulls this lever which is meant to drop beast and wolverine into the chemicals and (laughs) spider-man just like pushes the lever back which (laughs) stops them from dropping it's like the simplest solution uh, and it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's it's and then, and then he calls Landon Frankenstein, which, as we noted in the commentary, is actually an appropriate use of Frankenstein because he's referring to the doctor. Mm-hmm. And then rips the lever off the console entirely, which I guess <laughs> if the lever's not there, he can't push it down again. <laughs> I guess is the logic. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, it's beautiful. Yep. It's very beautiful. Less beautiful. Uh, Hobgoblin arrives. Yep, he's also there. He's also there. He's there, as always. Um, And he's doing his thing where he just blows everything up because that's what Mm -hmm. he's good for. Yep. He pumpkin bombs the console that Spidey just broke. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, uh, It wasn't broken enough. I guess, I guess so. I don't know. He's there to just add to the chaos. Cause he yeah, literally that's really just... what he does is like raise stakes by blowing shit up. Uh-huh. Because he like literally does that and then he just ends up like leaving like very shortly after this. <laughs> he just like shows up uh-huh. to blow stuff up and leaves. Yeah. But before that happens. So he, he blows that up. Landon attempts to ground Hobgoblin with a laser but hits the cage instead. This mm-hmm. is just utter chaos hits the cage instead (laughs) um which nearly drops the mutants into the chemicals spider-man arrives just in time to grab the cage so now it's spider-man holding beast in a cage who's holding wolverine hanging over a giant vat of floating bubbling green chemicals Mm -hmm. not floating chemicals whatever it's chaotic you know (laughs) yes it is uh it's a beautiful chain of superheroes (laughs) trying not to fall into a vat of acid or chemicals, or whatever. <laughs> yes, whatever. So Lee Wald, our buddy Lee Wald, who's been providing updates this whole time to Landon, calls Kingpin to let him know that Landon is pursuing Hobgoblin and that Spider-Man and the X-Men are destroying the lab and all sorts of chaos is happening. And in response, Kingpin's like, wait, but what about my super mutant army? <laughs> And Lee Wald's like, dude, I don't think that was ever Landon's intention. 
Um, and so Kingpin's like, all right, we're done here. <laughs> like, like, did, did you see how over-designed those, those super mutants were? You really thought that those would work in animation, Kingpin? Not <laughs> that was never going to happen. <laughs> and that's sort of, I think, unless we got clues earlier, I think where we are sort of clued into the fact that Lee Wald was a Kingpin spy the whole time. Yeah. Again, a really like just kind of an unreveal and does not really play into any, into anything. I don't know. Does Kingpin even like appear after this moment for the rest of the episode? I do not believe he does. <laughs> yeah. So I don't remember. Maybe it'll play into stuff later on right now. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm not sure that it plays into anything. I suspect that if it does not, it really is just what we were talking about in the last episode last week where it's like, we want to make sure we get our Spider-Man stuff in, too. And what's sure. more Spider-Man than, like, Kingpin? Well, yeah. I guess Spider-Man is, but, but after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. This is when Hobgoblin reveals to Landon that he has stolen all of his work and put it onto this CD-ROM slash floppy disk. Because he couldn't just leave with it. <laughs> yeah. He, he So he, like, flaunts that around to Landon and even tells him that he's erased the hard drive. So, like, literally the only source of Landon's compiled work is on this drive, ROM, mm-hmm. disk, whatever it is. <laughs> thing. <laughs> thing. This computer thing that holds data. <laughs> <laughs> so Landon, he's, like, pissed. This is his life's work. He starts firing his laser wildly around the lab. He does, like, manage to almost, like, accidentally hit Hobgoblin with this. And as a result, Hobgoblin's glider bumps into the cage. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Nearly causing Wolverine, who is still passed out, slowly waking up a little bit. Like, what happened to your healing factor, dude? Shouldn't you be, like, waking up immediately from this? Uh-huh. I don't know. Um, he's just, like, mumbling in his sleep. Like, oh, just five more minutes, Mom. Um, <laughs> it nearly caused him to fall into these chemicals again. <laughs> You could honestly replace that chain of superheroes with Muppets, and I don't think you'd miss a beat. No, no. Play some <laughs> Benny Hill music behind it as yeah. this is all going on. <laughs> It'd be so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Hobgoblin's, speaking of Benny Hill music, uh, Hobgoblin's <laughs> glider gets stuck in a railing, and he like is kicking it, trying to get it out of the railing. <laughs> Which allows Landon to catch up to him on foot and uh, and sort of confront him face to face. He attempts to threaten Hobgoblin, but Hobgoblin manages to somehow get his glider free by kicking it, I guess. Sure. Um, and glide off, which, you know, ain't great for Landon. So Landon grabs onto the glider. And as a result of that, Hobgoblin drops the research data. I don't know if this was intentional or not. I'm guessing it was an accident, but Hobgoblin doesn't seem to care that much. And his know. motivation is all very bizarre in this episode anyway. So what do you mean this episode? Like his motivation is just bizarre. Always. <laughs> in this whole series. <laughs> so he might've done it on purpose. He might not have, who knows? The point is Landon's like, no, I need that. And jumps after it and lands in the vat of chemicals. Whoopsie daisy. Yep. <laughs> Hobgoblin then directs his attention to Spidey and the mutants, but before he can do anything, a furious Genevieve, who's just witnessed her her partner in crime, fall into a vat of chemicals. So she has a really great like yell as she. Uh, oh, as she does she's this so too. good in these next moments. She is the actress for, for for like I wouldn't call it a thankless role or anything, but not a super substantial role. Like the actress gets a lot out of it. Ugh. 
so good. She really goes hard on it. So props to props to her for like really, really making this character feel pretty real. Yes. And not phoning it in whatsoever. Um, she screams furiously. She shoots at Hobgoblin with a laser. Hobgoblin just tosses more pumpkin bombs. That's literally all he knows how to do. I believe we get a recycled <laughs> shot from the presentation <laughs> probably, here. Probably so. <laughs> Probably so. He does that and he just flies off. Because again, like we said, just causes chaos and then leaves. Like that's, yes. that's like why did why was he there? Like why was he flaunting this around? Like what did he what did he want to come of this other than just making everyone's lives miserable? Yeah, there's actually no reason from Hobgoblin's perspective to show up in the lab at all. I think he like sort of is like, I've got the only copy, you've gotta do what I say or something. But like in that moment, with that stuff going on there's no reason yeah. for him to be there at he all just could have left in ransom later like he didn't have yeah. to do it right then man <laughs> i guess the only thing we can sort of fall back on is that his motivations have never made sense so i guess like the lack of clear motivation is in line yeah like he's always just kind of trying to be an, an agent of chaos and he doesn't yeah. really know what he's doing half the time he just was <laughs> like "Ooh, this will be fun Ooh, this will yes. make me money something's happening over there <laughs> <laughs> Let right. me go see what it is. <laughs> so after Hobgoblin leaves, Wolverine finally regains consciousness. <laughs> and he, he's able to like actually work with Spidey to swing the cage with enough momentum for the mutants to jump out of the way of the chemicals and like finally, finally escape. Yes, he does sort of like a, uh, a, like a cannonball flip away from the vat of chemicals, sort of like reminiscent of his like fastball special pose, Mm -hmm. which is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm glad they included that. Yeah. (laughs) And as the heroes sort of like regroup from saving themselves from the vat of chemicals, this is another great line delivery, incredible line delivery from Laurie O'Brien, where she shouts at them for help because Landon's still in there. Gosh, it's just so good. I'm just thinking of her line delivery. Yeah. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's, it sticks with you because she has like really great yeah. like piercing yells. Yes. And they never feel over the top or anything. No. They just feel like a an ele- a, a, a way of conveying like distress uh-huh. that you don't get super often on like cartoons. I think because mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of actors are probably too afraid of, of playing it over the top. But yeah. like she nails it every time. Oh, She's really so good. Kind of like the MVP actor in these episodes, <laughs> to be I honest. I would say so. Considering yeah. like how little she really gets to do except for key moments. Like yeah. she sells those key moments. At the very least, she is a hundred percent the unsung hero <laughs> of yeah. the uh of the uh, cast on this one. <laughs> Definitely. Anyway, so she calls for help, and Landon actually manages to get himself out of the chemical vat and just sort of, like, flops onto the ground, but pretty immediately begins to transform into some kind of monster, which we'll eventually see as this sort of, like, weird slug-like alien-ish thing with, like, back tentacle arms and, like, kind of legs, but not really. Very strange. Yeah. Beast claims that this has happened because Landon neglected to consider the chemicals' effects on human cells um, and chooses to point out the irony of Landon becoming a mutant himself, which I love that. <laughs> He's, he, he narrates like this entire scene. It's pretty uh-huh. great. It's like, how ironic. Oh, look, he's going over there. Oh, look, he's doing this <laughs> literature quote. <laughs> like, yes. It's, I mean, I'm not mad about it. I love it. No, it's wonderful. <laughs> and I love hearing him talk anytime. So yeah, it works more. for beast. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he's 
gross. Like they do Very a gross. good job of making going full on Cronenberg for this because it's not it's not a cool looking monster. It's Mm-mm. like a disgusting horror show, which you know works for like what's happening here. This dude's getting his comeuppance, yep. and it is this is not like cool like storm power mutant or cool like blue furry mutant it's just like no grotesque nightmare yeah not good not good (laughs) Uh uh-huh so he's like starts absorbing absorbing energy from that control panel and genevieve reveals that beast's research was the foundation for their current situation she reveals this to wolverine and spider-man but wolverine isn't really like that mad about it um (laughs) i think he does like a what yeah like he's surprised but it's just kind of like oh well that sucks <laughs> yeah beast is like i'll tell you about it later and wolverine's like mm, remind me not to ask like, yeah what <laughs> for someone who has been so like super macho and aggressive like it's part of his character trait but especially yeah. towards spider-man and like ready to tear him to shreds it's like this is a pretty like cr- ridiculous betrayal that you just learned of <laughs> yeah but i guess you know you trust your boyfriends. They have a strong enough foundation for a relationship that he figured that he he knows them enough that he can trust them that this was that this was just one minor blip of his past. And they've kind of got bigger problems. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, because That's Landon true. like Monster Landon grabs Genevieve with one of those weird back tentacle arm things. And I say that because like they definitely have hands and they seem to have shoulders, but they don't seem to have any joints in between. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's gross. <real> gross. <laughs> um, so he grabs Genevieve and crashes through the wall to escape the lab, but also the complex. And he starts to make his way towards Midtown. And the goal there is obviously to like drain the city's power grid because as Beast then observes, only the absorption of electricity seems to calm down Monster Landon's pain, I guess. Ugh. God. Fast brain beasts got there. (laughs) (laughs) But like the the other effect of this is not just to like calm his pain, but it also like continues to mutate him further and make him grow bigger and sort of more monstrous as he does this. So like as he's going through Midtown, like sucking up power, he's getting bigger and bigger and grosser and more monstrous. Yeah. His legs are also like super tiny. (laughs) Yeah. He's got like underdeveloped, like weird sort of like what you would think of the in-between a fish and amphibian evolution type legs where you're like, do those function or no? Yeah. <laughs> what a strange design. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a good design because it's so out of the norm for this show. Like, yeah. So, it serves its purpose really well. Yeah. It's definitely really nightmarish. And like, I mean, you're not going to expect like a kaiju battle. For, well, there were kaiju battles in Spider-Man and his amazing friends, but you wouldn't expect <laughs> a kaiju battle on like this show. So it's right. definitely... So, I mean, they definitely amp up the stakes to uh, give a reason for why Spider-Man and the X-Men would both be on the scene for this. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, the rest of the X-Men uh, do, like, learn about the giant monster <laughs> in New York, <laughs> understandably. So they're like, let's go there. So they, they show up in the Blackbird to assist in stopping the Rampage. They they have a little chat where Spider-Man suggests shutting down the city's power, uh, but Beast says they'll more likely need to short-circuit Monster Landon in order to stop him. But we get a really nice little moment where they, like, actually bond and where you could see – I think we even talked about this in, like, the commentary episode where we're, yeah. like, they would be really good for each other. Like, they'd be really great friends and science partners, actually. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because they bond over science because uh, Spider-Man, like, comes up with a plan about microwave transmitter technology, technobabble stuff, and, and – 
and Hank recognizes it as like, uh, oh, you're a scientist too. So um, their technobabbly plan comes together and they build this antenna that will assist them on short-circuiting Landon somehow. Science. It's through science words. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Beast also calls Spider-Man's mask garish. And how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Beast is like, the only true thing to wear is nothing. That's okay. Well, in that, if that's the point you're making, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> so their plan, they, they carry out their plan, right? And this involves a couple steps. So Storm, Jubilee, and Gambit are on the ground, and they're working to basically save Genevieve, which seems like a really dangerous operation because they're, like, also electrocuting and, like, shooting Monster Landon <laughs> in the process. But right? it works. Uh, he drops Genevieve, and Gambit catches her. So I guess good plan. Yeah. From there, Rogue then wraps Landon up with a cable that I guess seems to also conduct electricity. So it's got to be some sort of metal cable. Um, and that's attached to the Blackbird. And then they kind of use that and the antenna to sort of like, well, like they said, short circuit him. They just kind of like overload him with electricity. Problem is, while they succeed in overloading him with electricity, the plan kind of backfires a little bit because he starts thrashing around and his size is just like, too huge so it kind of sends the blackbird spiraling and on a collision course with like a nearby building so uh oh <laughs> <laughs> but this is when we get our big reveal that you might have might have kind of been on the path of figuring out by this point <laughs> so genevieve who's there who's been much more greatly spotlighted in this episode reveals she has telekinetic powers what she, this is why Jean Grey wasn't in this scene, because if she was there, it would oh, be pointless. good point. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Very good point. They could have at least, like, I don't know, had her show up and do one thing and then maybe, like, get crushed by a rock for a second. That's why she was out of commission or was busy making something else hover so she couldn't or save the Blackbird. I don't know. Just have Genevieve start and not be strong enough because she doesn't use her powers very much. And then Jean helps her. And then Jean becomes her sort of understood mentor when she yeah. joins the X-Men. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> or like, hey, you're like you're like me. Wow, cool. Yeah. And then that's even like an immediate bonding moment for Genevieve to like start warming up to the idea of becoming a mutant where it's just yeah. like, this, like hot redhead is also Exactly. A I was just going to say like, you're hot and powerful and seem put together for now. Like, <laughs> I want to be like you. <laughs> right. Right. In any case, she uses those telekinetic powers to prevent the Blackbird from crashing. Yeah. Beast recognizes the power, and Spider-Man, he, like, also recognizes it. So we get a little flashback to the last episode where he's like, Whoa, of course, Genevieve is the one who used her powers to save me from the ceiling collapsing. Ah. Um, they recognize that, like, she had harbored both resentment and doubt throughout the process so it makes sense to be like for that to come from like self-loathing for being a mutant she has like doubts about the project because she is a mutant herself but because she's so self-loathing that makes like the resentment kind of manifest in like even more rage and anger and fury than like a non-mutant probably would if they were working on the project mm -hmm. and were just a bigot also not to get super dark again but she does say that whole thing about like if mutants don't exist they can't suffer and if we're talking about metaphors for queerness and the struggles that young people have when Yikes. they're coming out Yikes. i think it's right there 
Uh huh. Uh-huh. Genevieve, you are loved and you are not alone. Yes. I know she never appears like again ever in Spider-Man or X-Men, but I'd like to right. think that she gets a lot of help from uh from Xavier and is doing good things now. Yeah, I would like to think so as well. Yeah. Yeah. Or gets help from Jean Grey, so Jean Grey can actually do something. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> More likely Storm, but hopefully Jean Grey. <laughs> Storm's like, I have to do everything. I don't even have telekinetic powers, and you have to mentor her, mentor her too? Come right. on, guys. I need a vacation. <laughs> I look forward to the episode where, like, Jubilee takes her out to do, like, fun mutant things because she needs to relax for a day. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Where's our Genevieve spinoff series? Right? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, beef... Uh, yeah, beef? I mean, it's beefy. <laughs> you said exactly what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's what I've been thinking the whole time, really. <laughs> So Beast offers to introduce Genevieve to Professor Xavier, and Spider-Man wonders if he'll, he will ever find someone who can help him. Okay. Um, <laughs> way to <laughs> make it about so you. so many people. Like, so right? many people who are willing to help you. <laughs> I know, dude. I mean, I guess that's the point. It's just like, God, dude, what? <laughs> it's one of those things where it's sort of like, I understand the journey that he's going through, but it's like, it's so frustrating with how much of a lunkhead he is throughout it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if I should like fault the writing of it or if I should just be like, at least it's in, it's in character for him. Cause like there's similar stuff with spectacular Spider-Man where you just get so freaking frustrated with Peter making dumb decisions, but it's like, but it makes sense that he'd make them because he's dumb like in that yeah. way. I think there's a bit of both happening with this one. I, that, that is, more balanced between the two than with spectacular i think with spectacular we tended to give more credit to the writing i think this is the writers are using something they know to be true about peter parker but they're not always being consistent about when those things get at their worst that's you know like this is immediately following sort of like a lesson he's learned and so it feels not as smooth even Mm. though the things he's feeling are true to character yeah, it's hard to track, like, where he's at at any given time, even if all of those things are, like, consistent in, like, you can believe them coming from him at certain points in, yeah. t- in time. It's, like, when they come out, it's sort of like, but why are you thinking this now? Why were you thinking that last week? Or shouldn't you be thinking that next week instead? Like, Right. Yeah. And I think that's just one of the things that Spectacular nails so well that, like, other series just don't seem to... Not not just Spider-Man series, but just like any series that's trying to do continuity well. Like mm-hmm. you just sort of fall into that when you have a character and you're like, this is part of who they are. You fall into traps like this where you're like, I'm not really sure where this falls on your overall journey. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Well, he's whining, but the X-Men, yeah. uh, the X-Men say their goodbyes and compliments to Spidey. So they're on good terms now, finally. All it took was Spider-Man to, like, fight a kaiju monster with them. (laughs) (laughs) But Wolverine reminds Spider-Man and himself that nothing must be tackled alone. So that's when we really hammer in, like, the other theme. So we get the theme of, like, of uh, that was established in the last episode of, like, people having, like, hidden pain and hidden feelings and hidden secrets that you don't, that they don't let people see. Mm-hmm. We also have the theme, the general, just very x y theme of, like, prejudice and, like, hatred and trying to, and, like, that, like, purifying the human race is bad. <laughs> like, that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> and now we also get this theme that has been kind of sprinkled through a little bit of, like, finding helping hands and, and, and learning to work with other people and accept that other people are out there for you. 
the problem with it that I have is that like the whole issue with Spider-Man is that he feels like he's not like finding people that can help him. So like he is specifically seeking out people to help him throughout these two episodes. And I don't feel like the lesson really like makes sense that he, that's what he would take from it. That like, Oh yeah, there really are people out there, but it's like, but I thought that's what you thought going into this. And you've just like forcibly disproven that to yourself by feeling like people have like turned you away repeatedly and that you're alone. So I don't know. I feel weird about it because I get it, but I also like don't get it at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's, it's tough because if you're going to create a superhero like Spider-Man who's relatable because he has the secret that he feels he can't share with people. And as a result, doesn't have a strong support system for that part of his life. It's hard to then be like, you've got friends who can help you in all parts of your life, mm-hmm. you know? Because, like, he has a support system, but he has a support system that he can kind of only exclusively utilize when he's Peter. He can't talk to them about the entire other side of his life that's causing strife. Right. And I guess he has it now with the X-Men, but that's not really what they're doing, right? Like, they're about to leave and say, yeah. like, remember, you've you've got friends, but they're not saying, call us when you need us. <laughs> like, that's a different... That's sort of a different note to end on. Right. So I don't I think that might be part of it is like you're you're almost stripping away one of the things that makes Peter the Peter Spider-Man thing so easy to understand as a struggle, right? Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's part of what it is for me at least. I think no, I think that you're totally right with that. But and then I think what it leads to after this He's he was going he would have done anyway whether he learned this lesson or not you know what I mean because yeah because the thing that inspires him to do it is not related to the what right. like the conversation they were having right even it's, remotely it's like oh rely on your friends it's sort of like he was gonna okay here, here's what happens so as the Blackbird flies off the X Men leave a copy of the Daily Bugle just like randomly smacks Spider Man in the face uh huh and it features a headline accompanied by a <laughs> I'm oh my glad God, you wrote these let me down. read them please. Let me read, read them, them. Read them. Read them. <laughs> okay, this. I should preface this by saying this is absolutely just a sort of like pencil to inking to animation, whatever type of mistake. Like it's it's a mistake. It's that's all it is. But it's a it's a hilarious mistake. So we get the totally perfect normal headline: noted scientist to lead African relief effort. Great, cool. We're on track. But then, like in the details, because this is not something we're supposed to focus on. I don't think they necessarily paid attention to, like, making sure they went over the letters correctly. (laughs) So we get the subheadline, Dr. Mariah Craw Toes arrives in New York for three day to prepare. Random quotation mark, Craw Fard's life Ori saved by (laughs) Spider-Man. And it's all completely understandable when you realize, like, it's purely just, like, Someone didn't go over the letters correctly, (laughs) but it's so funny to me. I I was laughing so hard reading it and I kept going like frame by frame because the letters even sort of change from frame to frame. (laughs) And it's just, it's, oh my gosh, I, I lost 
I lost it for like a solid two minutes reading that. <laughs> and it's not like it's a blink and you'll miss it thing. Like it's it's on screen for a, a good few seconds. Yeah, like long enough, enough to, to realize. Notice. <laughs> yeah, long enough to realize that like those are not real words. Cool. Especially because it's not like it's not meant to be gibberish. You know how like sometimes you, even on the same newspaper actually, mm-hmm. like you'll do a headline and then everything else will be just like gibberish or like yeah. fake script or fake type or whatever. That's not what they were going for here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they made it a point to write something for it. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Crawford's oh, so life Ori. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Mariah Crawtoes. <laughs> I love it. I That's love it so, so much. Good. <laughs> good old Spider Man. Yep. <laughs> it's also like right at the end of the episode, too. So, like, you're just ready to end the episode and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Especially after, like, all the uh, chaos that, that's happened leading yep. up to this. Oh, so good. So good. But this is this is what we were talking about. Because, like, he just learns this lesson to depend on other people. But, like, okay, cool. But I'm sure that if you read that Dr. Mariah Crawford was in town, you would have gone to see her anyway for your mutation disease. Not because you learned a lesson to depend on people. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because he's prompted not because he's like, all right, who do I have? Oh, that's right. There are these people. No, it's like very obvious that the the connection is drawn between the paper that smacks him in the face and choosing to go see do- like Dr. Mariah Kratos. Yeah, Dr. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if she, but if she had like been a presence before, but he was like for some reason reluctant to see her or something, and yeah. then this is what prompted him to see her. That would make sense. But it's just like it's totally random that she just happened to show up, or totally coincidental, not random, like just coincidental that she showed up. And it's, it's very good luck for him, which, again, like, Uncle Ben's quote was all about how, like, you make your own <laughs> luck and luck isn't real. But this is pure luck. Like, yeah. 100% luck that she's back in the country right now. Uh-huh. So it all kind of – like, I see what they were going for, but everything undercuts everything else. And it's just very not super well written. Yeah. No, I think it's like a <laughs> how do we get this to the next step and that yeah. that was the solution as opposed to somebody like really trying to tie things together. It's like, well, we got to get him there somehow. Oh, what if this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it was right there. You could have jumped off your own diving board that you just installed like is right there <laughs> i know i know so this ends with spider-man of course seeking out dr mariah crawford um at the hardy foundation research center um, when he arrives she shares that she's been expecting him and doesn't understand why it took him so long excuse um, me i don't understand any of this so how did she know uh-huh is dr connor's talking to her or something they've mm-hmm. never had any interaction that i know of so what like was she studying like did she get a sample of spider-man's blood during the craven episode has been studying it herself but like what did hurt him to come to her instead i don't none of it makes sense no idea literally the only thing that i could guess is that again they're trying to hammer in this theme of like no go to your friends they will help you and implying that it's like i was here all along why didn't you come to me uh, why didn't you understand that you have friends and people that care about you but it makes literally no sense because you just showed up in new york just now yeah <laughs> i i don't understand that i've been expecting you thing yeah <laughs> it doesn't i don't yep huh Um, And he reaffirms this theme of the episode that is ostensibly the theme of the episode that he needs to ask for help and turn to his friends when he's in trouble, which is why he went to Dr. Crawford, of course. And not the other people he's already been talking to that have been totally willing to help him along the way, such as, I don't know, Dr. Connors. Right. Like he's he's been actively (laughs) doing this. Or Xavier. 
<laughs> he, he's been actively seeking out people to help him. He already knows that people exist. He was yeah. just mad because they like were saying that they couldn't actually help him ultimately. Like, yeah, I don't know. Very strange. Very very bizarre. And in a in an already sort of bizarre two parter. <laughs> like, messy. I feel like messy is like the best way yeah, to describe it. it. These are a messy uh... pair of episodes. Unfortunately, as much as I want to like them and as much as they do some really good things, they're very messy. Yeah. Well, and this is, I mean, this is the cap to the episode too. So it doesn't even really necessarily play into like the stuff that we were already praising as far as storytelling goes. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's, that's makes it a little easier to be, to realize like this was just not, not good. (laughs) Like, it wasn't like you messed up the stuff you were already doing well. It's just like you put a cap on that wasn't, wasn't good. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, and yeah, it's just yeah, meant yeah, to yeah, lead yeah. into the next episode is all it is. Yeah. Could have been better, though. It could have been I, better. Know. You know what's funny is I, I mentioned I was reading, like, a, a forum thread about these episodes that were, I think, from 2005, maybe, 2003, somewhere around there, early on. sounds about right for, like, ABC yeah. Family reruns of it. Yeah, it was, like, somewhere around a decade later. And what's funny is, like, everybody – and granted – the folks who are who are just like enjoying friendly conversation on the forum, we're not doing what we're doing, which is to like examine every element of each episode in depth. Yeah. But I was I was very surprised to see how many people who had just watched the episode a decade after it came out were like, "Man, I loved those episodes then, and I love these episodes now. Mm-hmm. Like, what great episodes!" And I was like, "Did you, like even if you're not examining like the story and the themes and all these things that connect, like." Surely you're noticing the inconsistency in coloring and recycled footage and stuff like that, right? I guess, but I guess if you're like, well, I mean, you get used to it with this show, I guess, because uh, it does it so much. Is the I, only guess. Thing I can guess. I think it's extra frustrating for us because we were just very recently praising the Hydro Man episode, which is a gorgeous episode and extremely uh, tightly, tightly written, well-written episode. Everything about it was just, like, perfect. It's just, like, a total masterpiece. Yeah. It's, so, like, to come off of that into this, which is a much more hyped one, a much more beloved pair of episodes, like, a much more, like, I guess – in not important but like well like notable ones because it was a big crossover and so to have that be such a steep decline from that episode i think i think made a big difference for us because i hate like i don't want to down on other people's joy and everything and obviously i watched no they're still fun yeah (laughs) like i don't i wouldn't take away from that at all yeah it's just it's fun to see like crossovers like this for sure it's the reason that things like uh like civil war or even Batman versus Superman, like, catch people's attention, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I so I don't want to be down on people, like, having liked these episodes at all. That's, like, totally against, like, my morals in terms of media. <laughs> but, like, yeah. I just, but I do think it's interesting that it's, like, I, I am very forgiving of a lot of the, of the stuff that I watch in terms of production quality. Even then, I just think these are really messy, kind of weak episodes, despite a lot of the good stuff that's in them. And it's in a really disappointing way that doesn't live up even to like the season premiere two-parter as much as there was like stuff in there that wasn't great. Um, and the animation again was like pretty God awful. Mm-hmm. I think that they were still like more tightly written episodes for the most part, even with sure. some missing pieces there. 
But again, it's a crossover two-parter. I feel like it falls because of a lot of the similar tropes that you see in any crossover where it just is like too overstuffed. There's two worlds that they have to kind of acknowledge and deal with that you're not going to have time for. Um, and, st- and they had the extra added hur- hurdle of working it into their season arc, which I do think they, they did reasonably well, all things yeah. considered. Um, it's just like it's a lot of, lot of balls that you're juggling and it's hard to do that. Yeah, I guess I, I, I'm not surprised people enjoyed them. I was just surprised that there weren't more or really any that I saw of the sort of like, wow, that didn't hold up as much as I thought it would. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That you would get with like any property you have nostalgia for, you know? Yeah. I still enjoy watching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I would never say it holds up well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I guess it was more I was just surprised by that. But no, that's a, it's, it's good perspective. Yeah, it is. It is interesting to th- to think of it in those terms. Like other people can still overlook that stuff more than we can. So yeah. hey, more power to you. <laughs> and it's it's probably good too. I mean, like we're uh-huh. doing a very specific thing uh-huh. that I that that I don't necessarily do when I'm watching other stuff. You know what I mean? So oh yeah, oh, uh, it's good to turn it on and off. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's healthy. <laughs> yeah, very healthy. Yeah, that's the thing. You, as long as you're able to to like control the spectrum of how much you're thinking into things, like I don't think you necessarily have to turn your brain off completely for stuff, but right. like being able to turn it down, I think like you just have to be able. I think it's a, it, it's an acquired skill yeah. in terms of media consumption and analysis to be able to figure out when you should like turn it up and down, how much brain power you're using. Indeed. Yeah. Well, we still have a couple of faces of the episode, and these are actual faces this time. Yay! And I will say these are a little bit cheats because we try not we try to shy away from just doing like in between frames or weird squash and stretch stuff or even just like just mistakes. But these were still ones that like I noticed while I was watching it, so like they're held for long enough to like be more than just like a weird pausing in between frame. Yeah, I don't think these are like uh they're not like smear frames or anything like that. Right. First one is just like when Hobgoblin is laughing at one point towards <laughs> the end. I don't even know, man. It looks like he just ate something really delicious. And is saying, I love Yum. it. <laughs> yeah. It's like a deep inhale. You know, yeah. like he just walked into a, like his favorite donut place and is just like, yes. <laughs> oh, donut sounds so good right now. I know. Well, I'm just constantly thinking of yeah, donuts. I guess so. they always, there's never a time when donuts don't sound good. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. a good one i like that the other one is beast who like we said is generally i think pretty well handled in this in terms of his like they 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 make sure they give a lot of attention to his design and his animation there's really only a few times where he like doesn't look very good this one it's not even a time where he looks like not good he just like looks weird he's making a funny face <laughs> he's making a strange face it's mostly he's doing like popeye eyes with his like <laughs> one eye like squinted down and the other one like with his eyebrow raised and then yeah. like his mouth is doing something I don't understand at all. He looks like he should be I don't know. This this is weird. Looks like he should be like spitting out a ping pong ball or yeah. like <laughs> yeah. popping out like a like a lollipop from his mouth or something. Like it's it's strange. It's like uh I don't know. I'm leaving that on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's uh, um oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, doing having fun with Wolverine. Mhm. He is normally it's hard as a rock, as we say. So it's 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 right there for you all to see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't make it much more explicit than that. Yeah, it is very. I don't know. It's strange. It's so strange. It's because his a mouth frame. doesn't. 
It's not like his, like, you know how when you actually make a face like that, like your whole mouth turns into that O shape, but like his mouth doesn't, it keeps going to the it's, sides of his cheeks. Yeah. Cause you have like the O shape in the middle of his mouth and the two lines on the side. You're right. I yeah. think that's what makes it really odd. So like only part of his mouth is open as opposed to his whole mouth is open. It's at, <laughs> there's something anatomically strange going on there. Right. Right. Some strange lip muscles. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well yeah i guess we kind of talked about our general thoughts on this but any other closing closing thoughts on this two-parter mm, i don't know I, I mean i will say like it's enough to to keep my curiosity for x-men alive it doesn't it doesn't push it down at all you yeah. know what i mean like i think the more we talk about creators that overlap with x-men or you know the more we just sort of run into it or 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 things like that i I become more and more intrigued. Mm-hmm. I think it's more than enough of a concern to be like, well, what if this gives the wrong impression to somebody and then they choose not to check it out? Mm-hmm. That didn't happen with me. I'm I'm still still at a place where I want to check it out. So Yeah, I think that they represent them as reasonably well as they can. Like, I do have to give them props. Like, I was kind of surprised when watching just that random X-Men episode. Again, like, kind of the first time I've watched one in years and years and years and years and years, maybe a decade. Yeah. I was surprised by how, like, tonally different and, like, aesthetically different the shows are. Like, because I always associated them together in my head. Sure. So, like... It is, even though the designs are still very close to what they were in the X-Men show, they still had to do a lot of, like, tweaks to make it work in Spider-Man. So, like, I give them kudos for doing that and kind of, like, working them into the world of Spider-Man in spite of those differences. um, Because I know that that's got to be a challenge for the character designers. Oh, sure. In this show. So, and still, like, kind of staying true to the feel of the show. So, yeah, I think... I was, I'm glad that I did watch that episode today because I think it helped me like put it more into context and it made me want to watch the show more than just like the general like idea of like X-Men is good and you should rewatch it because you don't remember much of yeah. it. Like it actually like I'm actively like interested in doing a full rewatch of it. That's kind of will be very similar to my first time because I remember mm-hmm. so little of it because I revisited it because I haven't revisited it. So yeah. But yeah. I think like. For folks who, I don't know, if, if there happen to be people who aren't necessarily re-watching Spider-Man but somehow end up listening to this episode or watch, or listen to this because it's the X-Men one, watch this because it's fun, but don't consider this to be like sort of the best that this series has to offer because I don't think it is. I think if you're going to watch this two-parter because you're curious about the Spider-Man animated series and if it holds up, like watch these but then also watch the episode just before it because that's some of the best stuff that spider-man the animated series has to offer yes definitely i would agree with that cool i think we have set that mutant gene to rest that didn't work i don't know (laughs) i was trying to come up with something clever and i was hoping that the more like as i talked it would come out but uh no puns to be had here tonight yeah sometimes it happens sometimes it doesn't yep yep well, things that are happening that never don't happen, never doesn't happen. <laughs> God, I am just killing it tonight, aren't I? Just crushing it. <laughs> just crushing it. Our Patreon 
visit us on Patreon, patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers for a lot of cool stuff. If you join us at our $1 level, you can get early access to episodes, um, access to some of our bonus content that is Patreon exclusive, um, like our just kind of quick update episodes, um, quick little like spider bite episodes that we are doing now that um, are just kind of talking about Spider-Man related stuff that we're reading or learning about uh, that we just want to chat about that is exclusive to patrons. You can join our Walloping Word Snappers game where you can contribute words that we have to work into the show, words or phrases. So no matter how weird they are, we have to find some way to work them into one of our future episodes. And then if you are uh, listening along, you can kind of play with us by trying to figure out if maybe the weird things that we're saying were submitted by patrons or if we're just saying weird things naturally. You can also join us at our top tier $30 level. After you've been a patron for a certain number of months there, you can actually guest on the show talking about a topic of your choice. So definitely check us out on Patreon. We're doing a lot of cool stuff there. Oh, I didn't even mention our commentary episodes that we've mentioned. That is also at the $5 level. Um, So tons of bonus content there um, that you can access at our Patreon Otherwise, if you'd like to find us personally, where can we find you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y, tweeting about whatever, I don't know, just stuff that's happening. And then if you're into Pokemon or Pokemon-related things, you can also find me on Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network, where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. Check us out. Where can people find what you're doing, Derek? You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. I am definitely thinking of lots of cool stuff that I talk about on my Twitter that I can tell you about. <laughs> and I'm telling you about that right now. So my Twitter's great. Follow me there. You can also follow me. find me on YouTube, uh, my video essay show Second Chance, that looks at um, media that is deemed bad. Uh, or at least divisive and trying to look at it with a positive lens or trying to kind of dig into why people who do like it might like it. And if you are looking for more just walloping web snappers in general, you can find and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod. You can also email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com for whatever you would like. Give us feedback, suggestions, fan art, whatever you are thinking of. Additionally, we would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. That is super helpful because it allows other folks to find us more easily. If you like what we are doing, there are probably others who would too. So if you rate, review, and subscribe, it's easier for them to find us. And next week, Spidey will finally face off against the living vampire himself in the episode Morbius. (laughs) See you then. See ya.